Genesis chapter 23 tonight. Genesis chapter 23. Actually, if you look in the bulletin, I was going to do Genesis, have Genesis chapter 24. I was actually going to skip this chapter because we're dealing with, in chapter 23, the death of Sarah and how Abraham dealt with it. Let's read chapter 23 and verse 1. Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These are the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kir Japh Ribah. The same is Hebron, the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a sojourner, I'm a stranger, a sojourner with you. Give me a possession for a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The children of Heth answered, Abraham saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres bury the dead. None of us shall withhold from thee the sepulcher, that thou mayest bury the, thy, thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself uh, to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my, my dead out of my sight, hear me, and treat for me to Ephron the son of Zoar, that he may Give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of the field, as much money as is worth. He shall give it to, uh, it to me for a possession, for a burying place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham unto the audience of the children of Heth. Even of, of that went into the gate of the city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me, the field I give thee, and the cave that is there, I give it, I give it, to thee, I give it thee. In thy presence of the sons of my people, give it, I it thee, bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, spake unto Ephraim in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, I will bury my, my dead there. And Ephraim answered uh, Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken to me, the land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim, and Abraham weighed, the, the, weighed to Ephraim the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of, of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with, of the, with the merchant, and the field of Ephron, which was the Machpelah, which was the full memory of the field and the cave which was therein. All the trees that were in the field that were all the borders around about were made sure. And Abraham, for possession in the presence of the children of Heth, before all that went in the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, the, the, the same as Hebron, the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is herein were made sure unto Abraham for possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity, even on this rainy evening in, in Florida, Lord, to be here, Lord, in your house with God's people, hearing your word. I pray that you would bless, Lord, help us as we talk about these, these serious subjects tonight, and we're thinking about the life of Abraham and the death of Sarah. God, help us, Lord, as we contemplate life and death, as it is all around us to be sober-minded about it, be serious about it, but not fret, not be anxious about it, because we have a relationship with you. Oh, Lord, I pray you bless tonight and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the surest things about life is death. They say there's two things sure in life, death and, death and taxes. Well, nowadays, taxes even more so. 
The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. There's one thing short in this life, you're not going to get out of it alive. No matter how good you are, no matter how noble you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how educated you are, you're not getting out of this thing alive. Everybody dies. Everybody's died. Very few people, and we know in the Old Testament, there's a few people, Enoch, Elisha, that was about the only people who got out of this thing alive. Very, very, very few people get out of alive. They were called up because of their spiritual relationship. So what do we do with about death? What do we do about death? Because reality is everybody has to deal with death. Everybody knows somebody that, you, that, that has passed away. Maybe you've even gone to a service in the last six months or last year. Probably someone in this room in the next year or two will pass on to heaven. It is, is a reality. Nobody likes to think about it. Nobody likes to talk about it. That's why you probably haven't heard too many sermons on death. Now, we talk about death when we talk about salvation and not dying and going to hell. But oftentimes, we don't deal with or talk about the subject of death and how we as believers deal with it. Uh, sometimes we talk about it as a, in, as a, in a funeral or at, a, at a, what they call a wake or a graveside service. We'll talk about it then. But in the church, we don't like to talk about it. It's one of those areas... You know, we'd kind of like, it's kind of an awkward, awkward type topic to talk about. But Abraham dealt with death. And death gives us as Christians the opportunity to show that we as Christians are different than the world. You see, folks, we don't grieve like the world grieves. We don't grieve because we know there's a better place. There's a, there's a, this, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is a temporary place. <laughs> this is a place that is only a, 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 a speck, a dot in the frame of all eternity. It's just a, a little time that we're here. Think about if we can't even fathom it. We can't fathom it. All eternity and what is ahead of us. He said for every one of us who knows Christ is our Savior, that our best days, our best time is ahead of us. That's true for all of us. So how do we respond to it? Knowing that we have to deal with it, that it is a part of our life, that surely as we sit here this evening, we will know somebody within this year or next year, maybe even one of us who are sitting here in this place, pass on. And by the grace of God, every one of you pass on to the eternal bliss, which we call heaven. So what do we do? How do we act? We'll look at a couple of things this evening. First of all, we see the need for a grave. The need for a grave. Here in Genesis chapter 23, verse, couple, first couple of verses, we see the, the time of Sarah's death here in verse 1. It says there, it says in verse 1, that Sarah was a hundred and seven and 27 years old, these were the years of, her, of, of the life of Sarah. Sarah was 107, 20 years old. So with Sarah dying at 127 years old, Abraham would be 137 years old, and Isaac would be 37 years old. She was moved to Canaan with Abraham when she was 65. She was 10 years younger than Abraham. Thus she lived 72 years after the great move of faith. When Sarah was 89, a year before Isaac was born, the scripture says she was old and well-stricken in years, according to Genesis 18:11. But by faith, she and Abraham uh, trusted in God, rejuvenated by God to have Isaac, 
even though she was an, uh, definitely an older woman, but lived another 37 years after the birth of Isaac. So we see the, the, the time of her death, the measuring of Sarah's year, but the mention of Sarah's years. She is only one out of three women that actually mention their age. Her, Jairus' daughter, and also the third woman, Anna, the great age saint in the New Testament who saw the child Christ. They're the only three women in the entire Bible whose age is actually mentioned. Anna was a widow of four score and four years. And we learned in Sunday school, if you were there, what a score is. It's 20 years. Okay? So we see the measuring of her life, the mention of Sarah's years, and the manner of her years. What, did, what was her life made up of? Well, if you've been with us on Sunday night, you know where her life's been made of. A lot of mischief. Remember, she went down with Abram down to Egypt in a time of famine, and she was with him when the lie, that half lie that Abraham gave to the to the Pharaoh there. She was also, we didn't cover this, she also did the same thing to Abimelech in Gerar in Genesis chapter 20. She she didn't she kind of there was kind of a half truth because they were half brother, half sister, same father, different mother. So she participated in this half lie. Remember she schemed about Hagar. They couldn't have children. She was so so they went to the plan B and she told her husband, why don't you take my maidservant, my slave, basically Hagar, and have a relationship with her and have a child. She lacked faith to have a son like God said. We know also that she treated Hagar cruelly. Even though Hagar had the child, she told Abraham, or yeah, she basically told him to have a child and requested it. And Abraham did it. Didn't see a whole lot of arguing. He did it had the child, and then after that, after she schemed and planned the whole thing, then she got mad about it. She, got, she treated Hagar cruelly. I mean, we went over that whole thing. After that, God came and told Abraham, you're going to have a child. And how did, how did, how did uh, Sarah react to that? Oh, praise the Lord. Get the hanky out. Start running around the tent. No, she laughed. She laughed about the whole thing. She did not have faith to believe. But at the end of it all, we know that ultimately she did have a son named Isaac, which is, which, which is defined as laughter. And it's actually, if we'll read in Peter, where we'll get there, chapter 1 Peter chapter 3, she is an example for Christian wives. So we see the time of Sarah's death, but secondly, the town of Sarah's death. It says that she died, verse 2, in Kirjath Arribah. Now, this is actually Hebron. We said, what is, how significant is the town of Hebron? Interesting enough, as I studied this, Hebron was associated with Abraham and his fellowship with God. It was also first place where Abraham and Lot split up. It was, Abram, it was Hebron that Abram entertained the heavenly guests. Remember those three visitors who came and spoke to Abraham, and he gave them so much, so much hospitality, as then he begged for the life of Lot and his family. It was in Hebron. Uh, where her, her son Isaac would die. It was in Hebron where Caleb requested his inheritance during the time of Joshua. It is in Hebron in David's time where he reigned for seven years before he moved to Jerusalem to continue to reign as king. So the town of Hebron has great significance in the Bible. We see the time of Sarah, the town of Sarah, but we see the tears over Sarah in verses 2 and 3. Of course, the, the Sarah... Passing away in her old age brought tears to Abraham. 
These tears were sanctified. The Bible says in verse 2, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Tears are not a sign of weakness. May I repeat that again? Tears are not a sign of weakness. Now, maybe in some situations they can be construed as a, time, as a sign of weakness. But especially when there's a difficulty, especially when there's a loss of someone's life, especially uh, when someone is going through hardship and pain, oh, dear friend, it is natural, it is common to shed tears. And we as a church, when somebody is going through a difficult time, the best thing to do is to, the Bible says to, you know, there's a sign, there's a time and a season for everything. And when someone is grieving, when somebody is going through difficulty, dear friend, grieve with them. Sometimes you may, you may feel like you have a lack of words, and that's okay. Maybe the best thing to do is at least be there for that person. Listen. Now, sometimes the worst thing to do is try to give a whole lot of advice when someone's grieving, unless they ask for it, of course. I know preachers who've stuck their foot in the mouth when they've gone up to someone who's been grieving and said, well, you know the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good, and they quote that whole thing, and it's just probably not the best time, especially when someone has just lost a loved one. So be careful what you say, brothers and sisters. Be careful. Be careful. Be wise. Uh, he that keepeth his mouth and tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. Uh, it's very, very important what we sow. So obviously, he grieved. He grieved. Uh, Peter wept over his sin. The Ephesians wept over uh, their departure when, when Paul departed from them. Jesus, of course, wept at Lazarus' grave. And I think Jesus was the manliest man that was ever, ever, we, ever walked on this earth. And he shed tears. They were sanctified tears. They were sincere tears. They were sad. We're going to talk about that later. But ultimately, the Bible says in verse 3, they stopped. Abraham stood up before, before his death. He, he recognized that there was a time to cry, time to mourn, time to shed tears, and time to stop. Now, that, that for every person is different. Some, it may take weeks, months, some may take years, depending on the situation. But there was a time where he basically said, I have to, I have to go on now. I have to go, and I had to, I'm going to bury my wife. Some people, some people have a whole room dedicated to that person that they never touch. I remember my, I remember my dear grandparents, they had this bedroom that I, 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 I ought not ever go into that bedroom or my life was basically over. And I, I wonder why, don't, well, that was a special place, you know, because they had a special room for family, and that's, that was a dedicated room for that. Maybe someone has a, a dedicated room for someone who just passed or a dedicated wall or memento or, or something, and those things are special. We understand that. But there was a time of sadness, and there was a time where the sadness was stopped. But I, I studied, and as I talked, thought about this, this phrase or this topic of burial, I studied a little more, and this is a little bit off the subject, though it is on the subject, of why burial? Why burial? The Bible says that he was looking for a place to bury her. Well, I studied this word a little bit more. It says 100, 106 times in the Bible the word buried is used. Abraham, through Joseph, was buried. David, if you read Kings, Chronicles, every king 
was buried in a sepulcher. Now, some of them were so bad they weren't buried with the other kings, but every one of them were buried. John the Baptist, beheaded. He was buried. Jesus, of course, the prime example, was buried. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God formed man from the dust of the ground. God tells Adam, or he's, he's from the dust of the ground, and the dust of the ground thou shalt return. Genesis chapter 18, verse 27, Abraham said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which I am but dust and ashes. Solomon, the wise Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20, All go into one place, all are of dust, and all turn to dust again. So we are from dust, we are from the ground, and we return unto ground. Now, Opposite people, there's two types of way people are buried, or people, or people are taken care of after death. It's either they're buried, or sometimes people are cremated. I thought about that as well. The Bible talks about fire 549 times. Why does the Bible talk about fire? The Bible talks about fire for just a couple of reasons. Number one, it talks about fire primarily for punishment. When you read about fire and you read the context around all those verses, it's primarily during a punishment. Or secondly, for pruning. For pruning. Sometimes we go through trials that are like fire. They are difficult. And why does God send those trials? To prune us. Because obviously everybody, every Christian I've ever known, and every Christian I've probably ever known, including myself, needs times of pruning. If you have hedges in Florida, they're beautiful. But dear friend, every now and then, them prune, them prunes, them hedges go like, they, they start to go, they, they have these little things, these little twigs that start going every which way. Saturday, I got out there and got my Lyrobi pruners, and I got out there and I said, run, run, run. Why? Because I didn't want them things, especially those folks looking from the golf course, look over there and said, what in the world? What joker lives over there? Look at them hedges. Look at them. They just look like Mickey Mouse ears or something over there. I needed to prune them. They got, they got out of shape. Sometimes we as Christians get out of shape. And we need to be pruned. And what God does in his love, and it is his love, that he sends fiery trials into our life to help us because we do not have the discipline to do it ourselves. That's why. So sometimes we, get, we, need, we need to go through fiery, fiery trials. But primarily, you should read fire in the, in, the, in the Bible. It's about suffering. It's about pain. Remember, we just talked about a few weeks ago, Sodom and Gomorrah. They weren't destroyed in a blizzard. All right? It wasn't a sandstorm. It was fire and brimstone that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus talked about it when, it when it comes to temptation. Matthew 18, 8, Wherefore, if thy hand or foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter in thy life halt or maim, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Well, he's not talking about it literally. If you have a problem with stealing, cut your hand off. But he's saying, are you willing to do whatever it takes to stop doing that which is destroying you? Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, we looked at this verse on Wednesday night, and death and hell were cast into the lake of ice? No, fire. This is the second death. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, 
Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So as I was studying this, I was reminded that pagans, like the Romans, like the Vikings, traditionally burned their dead. They put them on a pile of wood, a pyre of wood, and they set a match to them. It was the pagan way. It has traditionally been for the pagan to burn their dead. For the Mongolian, I was studying, the Tibetan cultures, they actually practiced a different type of burial called sky burial, where they would place their deceased on a high, unpredicted place to be consumed by the elements and sometimes wildlife. What I'm saying is traditionally, traditionally, as Christians, Christians bury their dead while pagans burn their dead. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. So we see the need of a grave. Secondly, in the most part of this, the negotiation for a grave in verses 3 through 20. Of course, this is an interesting thing. It really talks about the character of Abraham. We see the confession of Abraham there in verse 4. He says, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. I like his humility. He didn't go in there and say, hey, I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest, I'm the best. I have more money than all of you put together. I want what I want. Give it to me now. You ever met people like that? Where if you're working in retail, if you're working in, if you're working in a restaurant, you've probably met people like that, and you wish to God you didn't meet people like that. Some of you are probably related to people like that. They know everybody. They're name droppers. They know everything. They're proud, and they're hard to deal with. But in Hebrews, it talks about how we are to be people who, who confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth, declare plainly that they seek a country, yea, they desire a better country that is heavenly. Yes, Abraham desired a place of burial, but his focus was not on the, was not on the eternal, on, on temporal, it was on the eternal. And so he knew this was important, but he minded, he minded more than physical things, he minded spiritual things. This, this, this mattered to him. This mattered more to him than just a physical place. It was a, it was a, it was, it was a spiritual concern. He, ma- he wanted to make sure that things were done right. He had a right attitude. He had a right uh, desire in doing these things. So we see his confession, but not only that, the concern. It says in verse 4, Give me possession of burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Out of my sight. It wasn't going to be somewhere right down the way. It wasn't going to be near his house. He went away from where he was living to another place so his wife would be buried there. The significance, according to Matthew Henry, which is a great commentary, if you ever want to study commentaries, it's a great commentary. He said, while she was in his sight, it renewed his grief, which he, which he would prevent. He didn't want it to be close to him. He didn't want it to be something he saw every day. I am somewhat glad that my mom, and, and one day, if the, Lord, if the Lord tarries, my dad is buried in Greenville, South Carolina. I got to go see them. I got to go see her while I was in Greenville. Bob Jones is right here, right across the way, more than less than 100 yards is where my mother is buried. So I got to go drop my daughter off, and with them, of course, go see my, go see my, my mom while she's buried, put flowers there at the grave, talk about her, pray. That's a good thing. It would be difficult for me, obviously, if my mom was buried, like, right outside my house. I would personally struggle with it. So I think Abraham was using wisdom here. And she, was, he, she was buried away, a, a, a little piece from where he was going to be living. So we see his concern. We see his confession. And thirdly, in verse 6, we see his compliment. These people, these strangers, 
these people he didn't know, these Canaanites, ultimately Hittites, they, they say of him, thou art mighty prince among us. He humbled himself and said, hey, I'm a stranger and a sojourner. What did they say? You're a prince. You're a mighty man. See, he didn't come in there saying he was all that. He humbled himself and said, I'm just a stranger sojourner. They came and said, hey, we've seen you. We've seen, your, we've seen your men. We've seen your cattle. We've seen your entourage. You're a mighty man. That's the way to approach it. Instead of demanding something because of your authority, because of your position, because of your money, because of your power, he humbled himself and let them do that. They praised him. He didn't praise himself. This word prince among us actually means a prince of Elohim, Elohim a prince of God. His compliment, his contribution, and the choice of sepulchers, bury the dead, none of us shall withhold from thee a sepulcher, but thou mayest bury thy dead. Basically, take it. You want to bury your dead? The offer here, here rejected the good testimony uh, that others may have had of Abraham with his neighbors. They offered him the choice of the sepulchers. Take it. Take which one you want. Uh, again, he didn't come in there demanding anything. The people knew who he was, and he had a good reputation. Dear friend, that's why as Christians, we, our testimony, everywhere we go, matters. Your testimony matters more than just at church. Do you know your testimony at your home matters? If somebody, the average person, went by your house, what would they look at your, what would they think about you by looking at your house? When's the last time you cut your grass, man? Does it matter how you, how you keep your car? Brother Eric and I were talking about this just the other day. A Christian ought to have a clean car. Amen or oh me. You say, preacher, now you done going to meddling. I'm trying to help you, brother and sister in Christ. If you picked up a stranger and there was so much trash in the back, they thought you were a garbage collector or hoarder or worse, they went into your car and they looked back there and said, you camping out? You live here? Dear friend, you might not have a Christian testimony. Dear friend, keep your stuff. You say, I'm busy. Man, what kind of excuse is that? Get up, get up earlier and stay up later. <laughs> there is no excuse for laziness. You're just lazy. Man, keep your house clean. Keep your car clean. Keep your stuff right. That's what's different. If any person in the world is supposed to do that, it should be Christians. Some folks will be ashamed to invite somebody over to their house because if you walk, you'd have to walk like this right here all the way down the hallway. There's a pile here, there's a pile there, and there's a pile there. Dear friend, if your house is like that, when the, when the invitation comes, come in here and beg God for forgiveness and go home and clean your house. I'm telling you. I'm being honest with you. I'm trying to help you tonight, folks. Abraham had a good testimony. People saw him. Now, think about it. If you think this man was lazy, had trash everywhere, didn't care about his people, stuff was just everywhere, had junk everywhere, land everywhere, cattle, dead cattle here, dead cattle there, you know, Mercedes over here, broken down, Toyota broken down over here, bad sheep over there. If you think they would have said, mighty man, no, they would have said, we don't want you even around our stuff because if you don't take care of your stuff, how would you take care of our stuff? You get what I'm coming from? I hope somebody's under conviction tonight. I hope somebody's under conviction tonight. We ought to take care of our stuff. 
courtesy of Abraham. Abraham stood up and bowed himself before the people of the land, saying, If you be mine, that I should bury my dead of my sight, entreat for me to Ephron, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah for as, me as, for as much money as is worth. He was going before these people, these Hittites. Remember Uriah the Hittite? This was the Hittite people. He was going before these people, these sons of Heth, and he's saying to them, hey, would you entreat, would you go to this person, would you entreat him? I really want this place, this place that's called the cave of Machpelah. I have this place picked out, so I want to bury my wife there. And he was willing to give as mon- much as money as it's worth. Now, dear friend, it's nothing wrong for us to ask for a deal on something, but sometimes, <laughs> we as Christians sometimes think we're so we get so crazy. Well, I'm a Christian. You should give me something. You know what? I'm going to tell on preachers. Sometimes we as preachers are the worst. I've seen it. I've seen preachers go into a restaurant. Now, where's my 15% discount? Dear friend, you're a man of God. Oh, man, just pay what is Just pay it. Just pay it. Don't cheap on everybody. Don't look for your 15, your 20 cent. Every time you go, God has given you money. Take care of it. Pay it. Man, have a good testimony. Get you. And I work with folks who tell me they get frustrated when they're around Christians because Christians always want something for free. God forbid that that's us. Now, again, there's nothing wrong in asking for a discount, but don't poor mouth and complain. Friends, we're living around heathen. It'd be better for you to pay the same, to pay the full price than complain and argue and go to a manager. And when you're talking about people who are dying and going to hell, which is more important, the soul of that server or you having getting, getting your money's worth? Think about that when you're out in this place, folks. I'm not talking about being done wrong. I'm talking about paying for stuff. Be willing to pay the full price if need be. He was willing to do that. He didn't go and say, hey, I'm a mighty man. You guys all respect me. Give me, the, give, me the, give me the discount, would you? Give me the sojourner discount. We see the compensation from, from Abraham and the consistency of Abraham. He said, I give it to thee. The owner of the property gave Abraham the opportunity to back down from his offer and pay the full price. He would have given it to him. He would have said, hey, it's yours. You can have it. But Abraham didn't want to go it that way. He wanted to pay for it. He wanted to, he wanted to give his money towards it. How much was he give? Verse 16, Abraham weighed to, to Ephron the silver, 400 shekels of silver. What is that today? About $2,400. $2,400. Why do you think he did that? So that these heathen folks, the children of Heth, would not say, that cheapskate, that cheapskate, that cheapskate. You say, right in front of them, they probably wouldn't have said a word because of his testimony. But as soon as he left, if he would have said, oh, we offered him for free, and he took it. And they all in their back in their mind would have thought that cheapskate. He made sure his testimony was clean and pure. He paid for it. He had a right testimony. It may cost you, dear friends, sometimes to have a good testimony. But that is the most important thing about you. Your testimony as a Christian. Because once you lose your testimony out there in the world among the heathen, You've lost it. And you can go up there and you can quote John 3.16. You can go through the Romans road. You can preach hell, fire, and damnation. But once you've lost your testimony because you want to be a little cheap because you demanded your, your meal right away, even though a bus of people just came in and they can't serve all the people sometimes, oh, dear friend, don't lose your testimony over a meal. 
Don't lose your testimony over $20. It's not worth it. People are dying going to hell too quick. Don't do it. The consistency, the currency, 400 shekels of silver, and the certification for Abraham. Today we would say that he was a, a man who wanted to do everything legally correct. Refers, we go through scriptures. It says he had dealings with the sons of Heth, Genesis 23.3. In the audience of the children of Heth, 23.10. The gate of the city, before the people of the land. The audience of the people of the land. The audience of the sons of Heth. He made sure in the presence of the children of Heth. What did he do? Before these people who did not, do, did not know God, he had a good testimony. He did that which is right. Abraham gives us a wonderful example of how to do business matters. We need to be right in the sight of, the, of, of God and our community. Why? Because there's Jim Bakers out there. How much money did I say he gave, had to give back? $256,000, Jim Baker. Remember Jim Baker? Years ago, Tammy Faye, well, he's still alive and well, and he'll sell you a pill, and it will cure COVID for the rest of your life. Nope. They took him, they took him to trial, and he paid the people back $256,000. So when you say Christian, they say, Jim Baker. When you say Christian, they say Jimmy Swagger. When they say Christian, they say Falwell. Well, dear friend, we have to be above reproach in every area of our life. I'm going to meddle some more. Pay your bills. Don't have credit card debt, $20,000 paying 20 interest every, every month. Don't do it. It's a shame. I was a principal of a Christian school. I know people who would not pay their tuition for their kids, and they came in with Cadillac Escalades. And then when we came and asked them for their bill, oh, preacher, oh, oh, principal, I don't have the money. What you driving? Your car costs more than my house. What's going on here? You saved? You're going to heaven? What type of people are you? You're worse than a vampire. Man, if you don't pay your bills, you say, preacher, what do I do? Eat less. Turn the TV off. Turn the cable off. Turn the, whatever you have to do, man, but pay your bills on time. Pay your bills on time. Take care of yourself. Men, it's up to you. You are, by the grace of God, called to be head of your home. How are you leading your home? Now, if you're not good in finances and your wife's smarter than you, which she probably is, let her do the money. <laughs> let her do the money. Don't get yourself in such a bad shape that you have to call me at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, Preacher, they're going to come kick me out of my house. I'm going to say, God bless you. <laughs> I'm not coming against you. It's going to be a long, cold night in January. I'm sorry. Pay your bills. Take care. What needs to be taken care of? The commitment of Abraham, the field of Ephron, was made sure by Abraham for possession in the presence of the children of Heth after Abraham buried Sarah's wife in the cave of Machpelah. This had to do much with the fact that Sarah was not only the one put in his grave, he was not just thinking about Sarah. He was thinking about his inheritance. And that's, what, that's biblical. We're supposed to take care of not only our children, but our children's children. Are you thinking about that, men? 
thinking about the fact that you're not supposed to just take care of your kids, but your kids and their kids? Are you laying up something for before you go down there and buy that new shotgun? Before you go get that new 40 inch, no, 50, 60 inch TV, 40 is a long time ago, 60 inch TV, are you thinking about, I actually supposed to take care of my kids' kids? <laughs> I'm supposed to actually leave something for them. You say, well, that don't matter. That's not what the Bible says. Abraham lived it. He took care of Sarah. The grave was for Isaac, for Rebecca, for Jacob, and Leah. They were all buried there. He took care of them because he took responsibility. Oh, if we as Christians only got back to just taking responsibility, not blaming it on somebody else, not blaming it on the devil, not blaming it on our mama or daddy or people around us, but take personal responsibility for our actions. And for those that we're supposed to take responsibility for. We see the need of the grave, the negotiation for the grave. But finally, and I wanted to close with this, the necessity to grieve. The necessity to grieve. Abraham has said, both mourn and wept for Sarah. The word translated mourn means to the beating of the breast is a sign of grief. The word weep means to, to flow, the tears flow like drops. He mourned. He wept. It's called in the Bible lamenting. Lamenting. And this is all through the scriptures, especially though, especially in the Psalms. Psalm 18, verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry came before him, even unto his ears. Psalm 8, 28, verse 1, a Psalm of David, unto thee I cry, will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Be thou silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down to the pit. Oh, there's times in our life when we go through deep sorrow, deep disappointment, deep hurt, deep pain. Dear friend, cry unto God. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God. Lamenting, pouring your heart, if David the king did. Dear friends, why shouldn't we? Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's times in our life when we go through such heartache and pain and suffering that we need to cry. Remember Jonathan, David's best friend? Look, listen to the words that David said in, Psalm, in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17. It says, David lamented. With his lament and over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah to use this use of the bow. And behold, it was written in the book of Jasper, the beauty of Israel slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Talking about Jonathan. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gaboa, let there be no dew. It'll let there be rain upon you, nor fields or offerings. For their shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. The sword of Jonathan returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Yea, the daughters of Israel weep over Saul, who clothed you with scarlet. With other delights who put ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How were the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in high places. I am distressed for thee. 
Oh, my brother Jonathan, very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of the war perished? I'm reading a book recently called Clouds of Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. It was written by this man by the name of Mark Viragope. He and his wife lost their daughter at childbirth, and he wrote about it. He said, lament is how Christians grieve. It is how we help hurting people. Lament is how we learn important truths about God and our world. My personal and pastoral experience has convinced me that biblical lament is not only a gift, but also neglected mention a dimension of the Christian life for many 21st century Christians. A broken world and increasing hostile culture make contemporary Christian unbalanced and limited in the hope we offer if we neglect this minor key song. We need to recover the ancient practice of lament and the grace that comes through it. Christianity suffers when lament is missing. We need it. There's times in our life when we need to lament. We need, to, we need to be sad. We need to grieve. We need to go through times of mourning. But in the midst of all that, dear friend, do not let yourself get bitter at God. See, grieving and sadness has its place, and it is definitely needed in our culture. But be careful for allowing yourself to get bitter at God. Nearly 20 years ago, my mom passed. It was suddenly, it was right after a routine gallbladder surgery that the doctors all said she'd be out in just a day. She called me that morning crying, James, James, James. She thought I was my dad, but I wasn't. I knew something was wrong. And I got my friend's van who thankfully gave me a, let, me borrow, let me borrow a van and head north. And was I going to get to Tampa, my dad called me and said, your mom's gone. I grieved. I grieved for the day. I grieved for the day. I'm sad. And be honest with you, for a time, I struggled with bitterness. How could God do this to me? But I realized it wasn't about me. It's not about me. She's in a better place. <laughs> She's in a better place. And though I will, can't wait to see her face again, I would never want her to come back to this world. I would never want her to come back to this sin, sick world. For all the money in the world, I wouldn't want her to come back. Because she's happy and healthy and whole with Jesus right now. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Oh, God, I pray that, that you would speak to hearts through the preaching of your word. Lord, if there's a need here tonight, and I'm sure there's needs, maybe someone is hurting, maybe someone is lamenting, maybe there's been broken promises or pain or suffering, maybe there's been struggles, maybe there's been lack of responsibility in the home, in the man or the woman, whatever the situation, the Holy Spirit speaks, dear friend, I pray that you would obey God tonight. 